Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. This is the show we help directors of marketing, CMOs, and business owners like you by sharing cutting-edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales so you can achieve your vision as a business. And today, we're going to bring you three highly relevant nuggets from the library, the dusty Perpetual Traffic archives, few of which are a little dated I will couch that, but the idea behind them is super smart. So I know a lot of folks, especially directors of marketing, VPs of marketing, we're certainly talking to a lot of them right now and how you should hire an agency. And three questions that my friend Chris Brewer brings to the table that you really should ask your agency, whether it's Tier 11 or whether it's any other agency, very tough questions to ask, which I think are super important and will help you get the right match for your marketing for any agency for that matter, whether it's advertising or marketing, whether any agency you're hiring as a business owner, you should ask them these three questions. So that's the first nugget today. So definitely tune into that. Then we're going to go back a bit and talk about the two most important metrics online marketing, in my opinion, which is CLV and CAC and how you figure that out. If you don't figure that out and you're an online marketer and you are spending money on advertising, you are flying blind. And we give you a couple of different ways in which to do that, whether or not you have the data or whether you can just sort of extrapolate the data if you don't have any actual sales. There's a couple of different ways that you can do that, at least to give yourself a benchmark so you know where to start and where to end when you are doing your paid traffic. And last but not least, we're going to talk about one of the most underserved channels, I think, in the digital space right now, that is over-the-top or connected TV, and how that works with your branded search. We're seeing great gains at very top of funnel using connected TV right now, as well as a lot of the ACC model, the awareness consideration conversion model. OTT, Connected TV, I think is one of those things that a lot of marketers really do overlook. So definitely check out that nugget as well. So make sure that you do follow us over on our YouTube channel. It's perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube and enjoy this week's episode. Without further ado, let's get into it. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing 
his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Sometimes we get the question, well, should I hire somebody like that who's sort of a jack of all trades? And in our case, you know, I can sort of think, well, that means also master of none. Or should I go, all right, tier 11, OMG Commerce, another agency for this, another agency for this. So should I subspecialize? What do you typically tell people? I mean, obviously, we're in the self-interest of going after specialized agencies for specialized skills. But as a whole, that is a question that we do get. How do you typically answer that? Well, I'll answer it this way. If you look at what the Fortune 1000 are doing right now, the number one position that they are hiring right now is a title called performance marketer. So that's someone who's looking at actual conversion-related transactions rather than brands because the Fortune 1000, their brand is firmly established. However, those companies are getting death by a thousand paper cuts by most of the people that are listening to this podcast. We are taking market share away from these big brands. And I would say that the big brands are waking up to the fact that the all-in-one approach is not working. And we actually just talked to a Fortune 500 brand in New York a couple months ago, and we're still in talks with them. Things move a lot slower at the Fortune 500 than they do with most of the brands we're used to working with. But the interesting thing there is the individual that we're working with used to own his own Facebook ads agency, and he was sought out by this very large brand that everyone on this podcast would know the name of the brand. I got an NDA, so I can't say it. But it's very interesting. And so he was coming to us because he had heard about our YouTube expertise. And this is a brand that spends a million a month on YouTube ads that are mostly brand oriented. Now, to a a marketer like me, that makes my jaw drop to the floor and shed a small tear about the amount of money just going out the door. But if you want to look at what the big boys are doing, sometimes that's right, sometimes it's wrong. I think in this case, If you're wanting to scale, then you need to bring in your team of experts wherever that you may find them. And I would say a plus is to find folks that are like us, Ralph, where we can send a significant Facebook ads advertiser to you. They can work with us on their Google ads or Amazon, and we can all collaborate together versus finding agencies that don't know one another and have never worked together. There are plenty of opportunities to work with agencies that specialize, but have a combined approach. 
Yeah, in our case, we always say, and maybe the statistics have changed since the last time I looked this up, but you've got about 80% of the internet covered between what you're doing and what we're doing. You know, there's other platforms out there, like we mentioned, like Snapchat and Pinterest and Bing and all that. You can go after those too, but like you've got like Pareto's principle here. You've got the 80-20 working in your favor between Google and Facebook. Will that change over the course of time? It might, who knows? But the point is right now, you can get the biggest bang for your buck and really be able to hyper-focus your internal team on working with just two agencies and get, especially if you're in the direct response space. And I would 100% agree with you that the bigger brands, first off, they move a lot more slowly, but they are looking at and very much sought after right now is performance-based marketing as opposed to the types of agencies that spend eh, 20, 30 million dollars a month for brand awareness. And I'm making my air quotes and that works, you know, in a certain model, but people are now are seeing this trend a lot. Even the conversations that I have with other agencies in the New York area is that, yeah, people want to know, like I'm putting in a dollar and what am I getting back? And when am I getting it back? Plus, you know, a certain Mm -hmm. percentage, Mm -hmm. And that's an opportunity for us as two performance-based agencies, for sure. Ralph, it makes me sad sometimes when I get these leads. And we've had leads from Google this way. We've had leads that have come in through other channels where it's typically a VC-funded company, plenty of cash. Yet on the call, they have heels dug in that they want one agency. So they've heard that we're experts in YouTube, but when I tell them that we would not be handling their Facebook ads, it's like the conversation is over because they want to find one company to do both. And I do my best, but I know when those folks move on, I typically find they're not going to get the best results and that's okay. You can't have everything. But there's things too that we need to be asking when we're looking for an agency. And I've got a few questions that I think might help your audience. So when you're interviewing your agency, whether it's if Ralph has said, hey, you guys should talk to OMG or somebody else says you need to go talk to Hawk or any other agency that's out there. Hawk's one of those that kind of does it all. Well, you've got to have some questions you're going to ask. And I know one of the resources we're going to give on the podcast will have a lot more of these questions you can ask. But my top three that you should be asking and some of the agencies, you may want to close your ears because you may not want me to, to share this information, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to release it anyway. Yeah. Number one, tell me about the last client that you ended the relationship with and share what happened. So this is you asking, who did they fire? Because that's the truth. Agencies, we will end relationships. We don't always, aren't always the ones getting fired ourselves. So find out what actually happened there. The second one Tell me about the last client where they ended services and share what happened. Those two questions, you're going to learn a ton. You're going to find out how transparent the agency actually is. You're going to learn a lot in terms of how they answered. Did they get defensive? Did they start to get riled up as they shared the story? Or were they able to communicate in a calm manner about the circumstances? So much power in those two questions. Mm. And then the third is one of my favorite questions, whether you're in sales or you're looking for a brand, this is a great question. After you've done everything on maybe your initial discovery call and the agency says, do you have any other questions that you'd like me to ask today? Ask this one. Are there any reasons we should not work together? And that's a great one because I don't know about you, Ralph, but there's always calls where we're having this great conversation, then boop, 
there goes a red flag. That's the red flag sound. Boop. The red flag pops up, but we continue talking. And there's those on both sides. So client may get a red flag from you. We may get a red flag from them. So the are there any reasons we should not work together question gives permission for the agency to say, you know, Bob, you know, Sarah, when you were saying earlier that you've had some inventory challenges lately, have you been able to solve those? Could you tell me more about your inventory issues? Or when you said that you are going into another round of funding soon, (laughs) tell me what does that actually mean for us moving forward? There's going to be ways that you can ask those things and it gives permission for the agency to speak up and then you can deal with those things out in the open rather than letting those pass by. You begin working together and then the first month that you're working together, the client calls and says, hey, remember we said on that call, those inventory, we do not have that shipment coming from China. We're going to have to pause services until our inventory catches up. It's just going to prevent a lot of potential damage from happening. Yeah, I think the two first questions especially are tough ones. I think those are very non-self-serving from our perspective, obviously, as guys that sell agency. But that will open up a whole new understanding of who this person is that I'm talking to. Even though you know you might have gotten a great recommendation from somebody who you know, like, and trust. But the last client that you ended, that's going to tell you a lot about the agency and the last client where they ended, like on both sides, how they answer those questions. And we've certainly got to ask those questions many times on discovery calls. I tend to answer things really, really honestly. It's like, because mm-hmm. we're trying to filter out people not to work with as much as we're trying to filter out people to work with. And then these bring up like the harder questions to ask and then the reasons why you shouldn't work together. I think those are three right. really powerful questions. We're talking about customer acquisition cost, but what is a good customer acquisition cost depends on this number. So this is uh, what we refer to as CLV. Mm-hmm. So we're going to use a lot of acronyms here. First off, customer acquisition cost is CAC. <laughs> you have no idea how long it took me to learn these terms. When I, I think I just finished learning them by the time I went to Boss Babe. I think it takes so long to learn marketing acronyms, but we won't even get into that. Let's continue. <laughs> so true though, but as a new hire... Like if you talk to your boss in these terms, you will like be running that company like yeah. within like the next year. So, no, seriously. <laughs> Pro like, tip for anyone getting hired at tier 11. <laughs> absolutely. If you figure out, all right, I got to figure out what your costs are and all this sort of stuff. So we increase our customer lifetime value. But a CEO would be like, holy crap, like this is a dream employee. If you're keeping your eye on that, you're probably a pretty good entrepreneur because that is the thing that drives everything else. Yeah. And the finances drive everything else. Like we joke about at tier 11, the first email I open and the first channel I open on Slack is always from my finance department mm-hmm. because without that, nothing matters. So having said that, you need to know your customer lifetime value, your CLV to know your CAC, which is your customer acquisition cost. So how do you figure out your customer lifetime value? So really easy. The easy way to do it, and it's what we tell a lot of our businesses that we work with, that we don't really know their back end. We don't really know what their books look like. We just say, all right, let's take an average of all your products. And let's say they've got 10 products and the average price point is 25 bucks. Okay. Just multiply that by anywhere between like two to 10. Mm -hmm. So let's say times five, let's say start off there. So your customer lifetime value, just like back of the napkin, like this is probably not very accurate, 125 bucks, maybe 150 bucks, that kind of thing. 
you can start with a number like that, but that's an okay place to start. It's better to actually go a little bit deeper and go into your CRM, for example. So if you are a business and you have customers, or let's say we're going to use in this example, a business that has customers, and we just want to figure out what they can pay to acquire a new customer. Let's say you go back into your CRM for the last three, six, or maybe 12 months. 12 months is probably the best. And you get all your active customers and get Mm -hmm. that number. So let's say you have a thousand customers in -hmm. the last year. These are new customers. They're not duplicate customers, but these are customers who may have bought once, maybe bought twice, maybe bought 10 times. Mm -hmm. So we'll break this down into individual models for e-commerce, for service, and then for digital products. But just use this sort of an example to start off with. So you've got a thousand customers. And let's say to keep things really easy, you've got a million in sales. Like this is a typical kind of person that we would talk to at tier 11. They're not quite maybe at the point where they could hire us, but they want to get to that next level. So I'm speaking to a lot of businesses probably just by mentioning this. So if you're around seven figures or maybe less high six figures, figure out how many customers you have, figure out what your revenue is, and just simply divide your customers into the number. And that then gives you your customer lifetime value or your CLV for the last 12 months. Maybe your business it's a three-month life cycle for a business. Maybe it's six months. Maybe it's 12. Maybe it's 24. Maybe it's 36 months. For us, for a customer, it's sometimes up to five years. But the point is, if you start off with a year, you're at least starting at the right spot. So in that case, you've got a million dollars in sales. All right. You got a thousand customers. What is your customer lifetime value? A thousand. A thousand. Genius. <laughs> I'm a math genius. Amazing. So that's your customer lifetime value. Now... That is a basic way of doing it, but it's a very easy way of doing it. And you can have your financial person, your CFO, or just look into your books, look into your back end for Shopify, whatever it happens to be, or your CRM. We'll actually do this through, we have two metrics. We know what our lifetime customer value is, but we also know what our average revenue per month is per customer too. So you can break this down into all kinds of different metrics. But anyway, if you understand what your customer lifetime value is, that's the start. So take your sales for the last year, take your number of customers, divide them, and then you get your CLV. And that's where you start with this whole exercise. So now that you've determined what your customer lifetime value is, you also have to think to yourself, and this is something that a lot of people don't think about, and whether this is step two or step 1B, I think <laughs> is really important, is how long does it take to earn that $1,000? Yeah, that's my question. So when you're doing that from the get-go, you're looking at it for a year, but you had even said some customers take longer to acquire then some customer retention is longer than others. So how do you take that into account? That's where you have to do a little bit of a guesswork. Mm -hmm. So you could probably look at it. How long have these customers been paying us, for example? So for us, let's say we have, you know, half a dozen who are five years and then we have some who are brand new or just new customers. So maybe they're a month. And then you've got some others that are a year or so. Mm-hmm. You can look at all those figures, figure it out by months, maybe, and just take an average. Yeah. So five times 12 is 60. So we'd have mm-hmm. five people at 60 and then we'd have 20 at 12. And then maybe we have 10 at three months. That is your average. The point is like, that's how long they're actually with you. But 
The real case is if you have that customer lifetime value, like what is the average? Mm-hmm. So for us, I think the average is probably about six months is my guess, anywhere between six to 12 months if I looked at it that way. Mm-hmm. I think if you're running a digital products business and you're doing a continuity program, it might be anywhere between three to nine months, mm-hmm. might be 12 months. Take that average and figure that into it. Speaking of ads, Dan, I've got a question as far as targeting. I understand targeting on a smartphone and a tablet because those are individually held devices relatively consistently. But a TV belongs to pretty much everybody in the house. So you have toddlers up to the geriatric crew, depending on the household. How is it that connected TV can target when you're dealing with that type of amalgamated demo and psychographic profile? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's different ways that different companies would do this and tackle this. For us, we talk about cross-device partners. So you know the live ramps of the world, the oracles of the world, ad brains, tap ads, those type of people. And the reason we partner with them is so we can start tracking from different devices that users associated with. And really it's about tracking the user. It's about tracking shows. It's about tracking and using things. IP address is one of those variables that is able to tell us the household. And what becomes interesting is depending on the brand is depending which device gets more of the ads. And so a great example, when you talk about family with with kids at home, if you're serving an ad that's, let's say it's female supplements, you probably want that to be more of a one-to-one relationship. And therefore, serving less on the TV screen where it might be in kids watching the TV and more on the phone, tablet, desktop. And if you're serving something like, I know, Bose headphones, you probably want that to be more on the TV because you're okay with anyone in the house seeing it. We know who we're targeting because we're using those cross-device companies to be able to find those users. So what we're using, in essence, is whatever your browsing behavior is and your typical browsing behavior is on your phone, your desktop, we take that information pass that on to, or we use our audience providers, pass those on to those cross-device companies that tell us that TV that's associated with you. And it could be other people watching it at the same time, and that's okay. And then we're able to then target you on that TV screen. And then really what we're looking at is the end result of that. So it's easy to find people, but then the question is, well, how do I know that you didn't serve an ad on my TV while my kids are watching it and I'm actually in the office working? Then we need to look at what was the end outcome of that ad? How much did it cost to drive you, Kasson, to the site? And that's the variable that then starts playing into it is what time of day are you likely to be watching it rather than your kids? Right? How is there a specific dots? Like if I see an ad on the television and I visit the website from my phone, are you able to IP address mm-hmm. triangulate and say, oh, that was those two things are related? Yep. So we lean a little less on just the IP address. And the reason for that is there's a number of companies um, in our space that will use IP address predominantly. The problem that we have is like you look at like the MRC, the Media Rating Council, and you look at other independent bodies, all deem IP address as too inaccurate or at best household extension. And so for us, it's like what we want to do is make sure we're using and we're getting other people to check our homework rather than checking our own homework. So that's why we partner with you know the live ramps, the Oracle, the ad brains, the tap ads of the world. So when we serve an ad on a TV screen, the device ID, other type of variables get passed onto those cross-device companies that tell us the other devices associated with that same user. Mm. I'm not going to use the word fingerprinting because I know that that, that, that's a bad (laughs) word in the the realm of track, but it sounds like it uses some of those same kind of methodologies Mm -hmm. in order to, you get 50 data points Mm -hmm. and that gives you the the opportunity to kind of put all those together and say, okay, 35 out of 50 match, this is probably the same person in the same household. Without going too deep into it, it's a probabilistic graph you're trying to get as close to that line as possible. And those companies boast that it's at least 95% accurate. So you have to be above 95% of their 
confidence rating before they'll count the other devices. Wow. Um, which is why we partner with them because it's a case of if you're using an IP address, the confidence rating is a question mark next to it, right? You don't know well, whether that could be 100%. IP. Didn't Apple just come out and say, we're not going to deliver IP address anymore and a bunch of browsers are doing the same thing. So it, yep. it's not reliable anyway, and it's going to go away. Well, you've also got TV networks have been masking the IP addresses. That's been known where you might get 50 IP addresses, which is one per state. If you're using that as the success metric, you're not able to see what's outside of that. And when you look at someone like a live ramp, they start with the household. So they start with your physical address and then work their way up rather than starting with IP address and working your way down. And so that's how you can get that level of confidence, which is why we have that level of confidence. But basically from there, I'm able to track you on your phone, on your whichever device you're using. So when you go to that site, I'm able to say that I know I served you a TV ad and I know that within the window that we agreed, you came to the site. Therefore, to drive someone there, it costs $1.50, $2 cost per visit to the site. And then I can track you and say, what did you do? Did you make a purchase? Did you become a lead? Or did you just leave the site? I went to track all those variables, which I think is where this all comes together when you think about attribution, is what happens to you as the individual when you see the ad and where you go. And so you could track it then. You're tracking it very similar to how you would track Facebook, how you would track display programmatic, any other channel, because you can track that individual user. Geographic tracking. Can I say just the state of Arizona, just this zip code, just this region? Exactly. Yep. You go down to zip code level. Dude, that's so exciting to me, especially given kind of where we are right now. We're starved a little bit for top of the funnel traffic in the moment, or at least mm-hmm. targetable top, top of the funnel traffic. This is a really good opportunity for a supplement. Mm-hmm. I would say this. I've worked at companies that just did display retargeting. I've worked at the, you know, the ad networks of the world. I've worked at a social company that predominantly all of those. And again, I'm a data person. I'm a data geek. The team always joke that if I put anything together, it's always in Excel for them, even if it shouldn't be. And I'll tell you from data, the channel that I buy into most is Connected TV. And that's, I know I'm here as the CEO of Keens, that's Connected TV to anyone. For me, if you're serving someone a 30 second ad on their TV screen, what we're seeing through the data is people are visiting the site at a really high rate, really confident rate. And then the activity they're doing on site is increased because if I'm looking for headphones and I Google headphones, I'm going to get a list of different headphone providers, right? Whereas if I've seen an ad for Bose and I know the exact headphones I want, I can go online, Google Bose, come straight through. And then you're starting to see that now when I'm on the site, I know why I'm there. The exploration of that brand happened during the TV ad. Which More is important huge. than ever to have some branded search ads probably running. Exactly. <laughs> unless you, unless you don't so have very good funny. SEO, you know, on your own mm-hmm. trade names. I've only got one client that runs connected TV and that probably speaks to the size of the clients that I have, but we run heavy, heavy, heavy attribution modeling and tracking mm-hmm. using a software called Northbeam. Mm-hmm. The connected TV client has some of the highest brand searches of any client we've ever seen on a percentage basis. Mm-hmm. So to the point that Ralph just made, we protect their brand heavily and they have some competitors out there trying to poach, but mm-hmm. we can see a direct correlation between connected TV ads and the number of branded searches coming in, both for their branded brand and then also for the products that are being pushed through those connected right. TV ads. I just, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I didn't think it was that accessible. When I asked you about pricing, I thought you were going to say hundred grand. Yep. I thought and it was going to be hundred grand a month. Me too. That's nuts to me. So I'm going to tell you that we're actually about to launch like a little Mythbuster season series that we're pushing out. But it's like, firstly, price. Most people, it's six figures you're expecting. Most people think they don't have video assets. We built something on our site that you can drop the video in. It's open source. You know, anyone can use it. 
to give us any information, you get to see if that video is actually high enough quality. Because the two biggest barriers you have in Connect TV for smaller brands is I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars on building out video assets. But most small brands in today's world have some killer videos that they're pumping through social or that they're putting out their YouTube, that type of stuff. Can they be repurposed? And then what's the budget? And I think both of those are the reason that people get a little fearful of it. And then the third thing would be attribution and how you actually track because Google Analytics doesn't track anything anymore. It (laughs) tells you absolutely nothing. Yeah. I mean, I joked about it. I think I did a blog post some point last year and I was like, my prediction was Google Analytics either has to innovate or it's the dinosaur of of advertising. Like it just doesn't, it works for, for search, right? You know, you get a click, but outside of that, Facebook isn't really appearing that much. Connect TV, like you can't click on the TV ad, so it's not going to be recording in there. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 